Genesis chapter 11, and we want to read verse 31. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would, uh, that it would be the desire of our hearts for you to open our eyes that we might see the message that you have for each person here today from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to continue our study of the man for whom the days of Lot are named. And that, of course, is Lot. These days bear his name because... As the Lord Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17, it is Lot who will characterize the way that believers will be living in the last days. These days are not called the days of Abraham for a reason. And the reason is that believers like Abraham will be the exception. Believers like Lot will be the rule. And I believe that the message that the Lord would have us to consider in these studies is that here in these last days, the days before the Son of Man is revealed, we're living like one of these two men. Last week we talked about how Lot, uh, I believe, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior in Ur of the Chaldees. In all likelihood, through the preaching of Shem, Noah's son. But Lot made a serious mistake in his Christian life. Mistake from which he never recovered. And the mistake was this. He left Ur of the Chaldees. We read that in our text this morning. And we read that and we might think, well, what's wrong with that? Especially since Ur was a place of idolatry. Why wouldn't Lot leave there after he was saved? The answer is quite simply that God did not call Lot to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Turn over to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. We looked at this portion of Scripture last week, uh, but it's a very important point that we need to have um, firmly fixed in our minds. Look at Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the, son of Ab the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Now notice verse 3. And I took your father Abraham 
from the other side of the flood. We mentioned last week that Dr. Henry Morris points out uh, in his Defender Study Bible that these words, the, um, the other side of the flood, are a reference to the floodplain of the Euphrates River on the other side of which was Ur of the Chaldees. And so Joshua is telling us that I took your father, he took, God took Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees and led him throughout all the land of Canaan. There's no mention, there is no mention of God taking Lot from Ur of the Chaldees. Look over at Acts chapter 7. Again, we looked at this verse, uh, this passage last week. We, we looked at them from a little different standpoint. Um, but look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. And he, that is Stephen, said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, that's Ur of the Chaldees, before he dwelt in Charon or Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. Notice the singular language here. The God of glory appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. Thee. All of these words are singular. They refer to just one person. And that's Abraham. God's call to leave Ur of the Chaldees was to Abraham and Abraham alone. One more, because we're headed back to Genesis. But look at Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51, and look at verse 1. Hearken to me, Ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. It cannot be said any plainer or clearer than it's said here in verse 2. The, those words in verse 2 summarize what we read in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 3 and Acts chapter 7. Um, for I called him alone. I called him alone. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 because there's something here. The Lord knows we're hard-headed and he knows that one of the great tools of teaching in fact he is the originator of it is repetition so look at 
Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. It's in addition to the verses that we've just read. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord had said. Now remember where Abram is. He's in Haran. But remember what Joshua told us. I took your father from the other side of the flood, Ur of the Chaldees. Remember what Stephen told us. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So this is why the Spirit of God uses the past tense here. And it's another example of the perfection of this book. He uses it because he wants to draw our attention to God's singular call to Abram in Ur of the Chaldees. And what was that call? Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I will show thee. So the scripture is very clear. There are all these singular references to Abram. That was God's call. It was to Abram and Abram alone. And we're looking at this detail because we're trying to understand Lot, something of his life. Because he's going to characterize the majority of believers in the last days. He's going to summarize and characterize us. That's why we're looking at him. That's why we want to understand his life. So we're looking at Genesis 11 and verse 31, and Lot steps out of the will of God in leaving Ur of the Chaldees because God had not called him to leave. And it's important to notice what it is that Lot considered more important than the will of God for his life. It was his family. It was his family. And his family relationship. We need to think about that. And we need to think about it in the context of Luke chapter 17. It's written all over uh, the, the, the account here. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In the end time, in the last days when the Lord Jesus is about to be revealed first to the air as He comes to take His body, the church, those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb out of this world, the rule among believers is that they're going to consider their families more important than the will of God for their life. God did not call Lot to leave Ur of the Chaldees. And I believe it's only a thought. Years ago on the news, they used to Put, when, when they had somebody, I remember a gentleman by the name of Eric Severide who was uh, on, on CBS News. And whenever he came on and started talking, they would put under his picture there, commentary. So you would know that what he was giving was not the news, he was giving commentary. Well, I guess you can write that under me here for a minute. And so you can take this for what it's worth. Um... 
I believe there was a strong work for the Lord in Ur of the Chaldees. We talked about Paul's words from the book of Romans as we thought about the idolatry of Ur, where grace abounded, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I believe there was a strong work for the Lord there. And I believe it was a work for the Lord that was led by Shem. Shem is an amazing man in the record of the Word of God. The more I think about this man, the more um, outstanding he becomes here in the Scriptures. He lived until the year 2158 from creation. He was alive for all of Terah's life. He was alive when Haran, Terah's oldest son, was born. He was alive when Haran's son Lot was born. When Nahor, Terah's middle son, was born. He was alive for the first 150 years of Abraham's life. Shem knew these men. He preached to these men. And I believe Shem lived so long because he was used by God in the preservation of the Word of God. We talked about this last week, but I think it's important enough to mention again. Because we're looking at a time when the Word of God was not written on earth. It was written in heaven. But it wasn't written on earth. And so it was passed by word of mouth from generation to generation. And, and when I say that, I think about the, what we used to do when we were in the second or third grade. Somebody would whisper something to the first child on the seat and then they would turn around and by the time it got to the end, the, the last child would say what they heard, what, what was told them. And it had nothing to do with the way it started out. And that always comes to my mind. But that isn't how it was. That isn't how it was. You've got all these different people passing the Word of God on for, for 2,500 years. But do you know how many people there were between Lot, Abraham, and Adam? From a genealogical standpoint, there were thousands Probably millions. But from the standpoint of the transmission of the Word of God, there were only two. Shem and Methuselah. The message was being preached by thousands of people. But the line of preservation of the Word of God was very small and very narrow. Adam, Methuselah, Shem... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, seven men. Seven men. We're down to about the time of Moses when the Word of God was written on earth for the first time. Paul writes of the nation of Israel in Romans chapter 9. And in verse 4 he mentions all the things that pertain to Israel. And one of those things is the giving of the law. That's a reference to the first time that God wrote His Word on the earth. The written Word of God came through Israel, of whom Abraham is the father. And who was it that gave that message to Abraham so that it could be passed down to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses? Who was the link 
between the Word of God passed on by word of mouth before the flood and after the flood and the Word of God written on earth that came through Abraham's seed, the nation of Israel. The message of the blood of the coming Lamb, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be shed. It was, I believe, this man Shem. I believe he was the leader of God's work in Ur of the Chaldees. What a Bible teacher he would have been. What a trainer of Christian preachers and Christian school teachers he would have been. He knew firsthand about the flood. He had lived through it. He knew firsthand about God's judgment at the Tower of Babel. So he knew about the origin of languages. He knew about geography and how the nations were divided in the earth after the flood, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands. Shem knew about true science. He knew how God said after the flood, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. He knew about government. He knew about God-given government and the responsibilities of God-given government that were limited and few because he was there when God established it after the flood. Shem is a towering figure. And we need Shems today, folks. We need Shems in the pulpits of this nation who will preach the truth of the Word of God about languages and geography and science and government and math. We need that desperately. I believe Shem was the leader of God's work here in Ur of the Chaldees. And it was a strong work for the Lord. And we get an idea of how strong it was in Genesis chapter 24. We're not going to turn there, but when Abraham is going to take a bride for his son Isaac, you remember what he tells his servant? Thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country. The country the Lord brought me out of, he called me out of it, but that's where I want you to go. I want you to go to my country. I want you to go to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Why there? Why there? Because Shem was still there. And he would be for ten more years. That work for God was still there. Nahor, Abraham's brother, was still there. And it's Nahor's granddaughter, Rebekah, to whom God will lead this servant to take a, a wife for Isaac. I believe it was an incredibly strong work. And here's Lot, called of God to sit under Shem's teaching, to learn and to grow, to feed on the Word of God, to labor in that ministry there in Ur of the Chaldees. What could compare in importance to that? What could compare in importance to that? To Lot, his natural family. 
to believers in this hour, their natural family. One of the great problems in Christianity today among the people of God is church hoppers. They hop from this church to that church and many times, many times, it's because of family connections. Lot had a spiritual family there in Ur of the Chaldees. But that family was second in importance to his natural family. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Lot-type Christians will be the rule in the last days. And so what we see in this hour is Christians putting their families ahead of God. Putting their families ahead of the Lord's will for their life. And it, it, it's not just in leaving and going somewhere. You can be sitting right here in this church and you can have your family elevated above the will of God. Christians elevating their families to that position. And sometimes it will manifest itself in believers who will pick up and go where the Lord has not called them to go in order to be with their natural, earthly family. My father died at the age of 60. I've told you this before, but I believe it with all my heart. He died at the age of 60. That is incredibly young. And I believe the reason that he left this world early is because he left this church and he left this church to go and be with his family. To be close to his family. To be close to my brother Mark and myself and my, our older brother. And I've told you how that turned out. Within a year and a half of, of my parents moving back to Greenville, South Carolina, every one of us was gone to some other place. But like so many people, they never came back here. So many times in our rebellion, we'll see it. We'll see our rebellion. And we know that the place that we need to go is where we got out of the fence of the, word, of the will of God. And we'll see it. Oh yeah, there's the hole in the fence. That's where I got out. But you know, I just don't think I'm going back there again. What a mistake. Christians will leave the church where God has called them, the place He's called them to learn and grow and minister in order to be with their family. Lot steps out of the will of God here in Genesis 11.31 and he never gets back in. If we wonder how Lot ends up in a cave, drunk, committing incest with his daughters, in Genesis chapter 19, this is where it starts, right here. This is where Lot leaves the will of God. This is where he leaves the place of blessing. It's where he leaves the work that God called him to do. And so he goes to Haran. And he's there until Terah dies. Terah's part of Lot's family attachment. Terah was his grandfather and in all likelihood was the one who had raised him after his father 
uh, Haran had died prematurely. And after Terah's death, a death that should have spoken to Lot's heart, because that tie of nature and family was broken, broken because Terah too was out of the will of God. The Lord had not called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. But after Terah's death, Lot continues on in his rebellion. The Lord's given him a message. He's putting up a roadblock. We're champions in our rebellion of breaking through the roadblocks, aren't we? Look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 5. And Abram took Sarah, Sarai's wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the place of Moring. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. One of the lessons that we see is that walking with a spiritual man does not make you spiritual. Walking with someone who is spiritual does not make us spiritual. Walking with the Lord and doing what He wants us to do is spirituality. Lot's following Abram. Abram's in fellowship and communion with the Lord. And Abram is in fellowship with the Lord because he is obedient to what the Lord wants him to do. But folks, obedience is not transferable. Obedience is not transferable. Obedience is individual. Abraham's obedience is not Lot's obedience. And there's an example of this in verse 8 where we see that Abraham pitched his tent, and he builded an altar unto the Lord. Two things in that verse that characterize Abram's life. We've talked about it before. The altar and the tent. The altar that characterizes uh, Abram as a worshiper of the God of heaven. The altar that characterizes Abram as a man of faith as he looked forward in the sacrifices that he offered to the time that God would provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. The altar was the the, the basis of fellowship with Abram and, and the Lord because it was at the altar where Abram acknowledged and confessed his sin. And then Abram had his tent that identified him as a stranger in the world, that identified him as a pilgrim, as one whose heart was not settled, as one whose heart was not at home in this world. And it's worth noticing that Abram had a tent singular. That might not seem significant, but I believe it speaks to us of a singleness of purpose, a singleness of heart, a heart that has one single desire, and that is to be a servant of God 
to be a pilgrim in the world, to go where the Lord says go, stay where the Lord says stay. Now with that in mind, look at verse 9. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. They will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. We're, we're familiar with the events here. Abram gets out of fellowship with the Lord. He leaves his tent. He leaves his altar. He goes down into Egypt. And of course, Lot goes with him. But God exposes uh, Abram. Pharaoh has taken Sarai into his house. And the Lord uh, plagues Pharaoh's house because of Sarai. And so Pharaoh calls Abram. And he confronts him with what he's done. And he gives command as Abram and his people leave. He gives command to send them out and they leave. But notice where Abram goes in chapter 13 and verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. When Abram left Egypt, he went back to his tent and altar. That's revival. That's revival. When believers come out of Egypt, when believers come out of the world, when believers lay down their rebellion and confess and forsake the sin that's in their lives and they return to the place where they got out of the will of God, that's such an important thing. If you're out of the will of God, the only way you're going to get back in is to go back to where you got out. When they return to their tent and their altar, that's revival. Abram came back to Bethel. Lot came with him. But notice what we read in Genesis 13 and verse 5. And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. But notice what Lot didn't have in his life. He's got the flocks and the herds and the tents, but he has no altar. He has no altar. Maybe you say, well, he was worshiping at Abram's altar. Doesn't work that way, folks. Doesn't work that way. We need an altar personally and individually. Abram has that altar. But that's not Lot's altar. We have to have a place where we personally and individually feel a sense of need, where we examine ourselves before the Lord, where uh, we acknowledge our sin personally and individually, and we confess it and forsake it. And to leave Egypt without returning to the altar is to leave there in body, but not in heart. 
And the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lot's treasure was in Egypt. And that's where his heart was. That's where his heart was. Look at verse 10 of this chapter. Abram and Lot are fixing to separate themselves from each other. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Like the land of Egypt. As thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Lot, in effect, went back to Egypt. That's why Christians don't have victory in their life. They leave Egypt. They leave some sin that they struggle with in their own strength. They leave in body, but not in heart. Their heart's still in Egypt. There's no altar in their life. So there's no sense of need. There's no acknowledging of sin. There's no confession of sin. There's no forsaking of sin. And first thing you know, they're right back down in Egypt. If we know the Lord today, we'll never have victory without an altar. We'll never have revival in our life without an altar. But there's another problem in Lot's life. Look again at verse 5. And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Tents. Abram had a tent. Lot had tents. Lot did not have a singleness of heart. His heart was not fixed. Lot had tents. In other words, Lot was double-minded. He was saved. But he wanted the world. He was saved, but he wanted Egypt and the things of Egypt. And what does God say about a double-minded man? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 and verse 34, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single... Thy whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, when your eye is not single, but when thine eye is evil, thy whole body also is full of darkness. And remember, as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Genesis 13.5 is the characteristic of most Christians in this hour. Most Christians have tents, but no altar. They're saved, but they want the world. And they want the things of the world. They're double-minded. And therefore, they're unstable in all their ways. Our eye is evil. We're setting our affections on things on the earth and not on the things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We're saved today. We need a tent. We need a single eye. We need a singleness of purpose, a singleness of mind, a singleness of desire for the Word of God, 
for the will of God. And we need an altar. A place where we are continually examining ourselves before the Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. That we do that at the altar. We need that. A place where we confess and forsake our sin. A place where we meet the Lord in all of His glory and all of His fullness. And I just want to say that altar is not here. That altar is not here at the front of this church. That altar is right here. It's this book, the Word of God. It's at this altar where we meet the Lord Jesus and we see our need. It's where He shows us who we are and what we are. It's where He shows us what's in our hearts. It's at this altar, the Word of God, where the Spirit of God reproves and rebukes and exhorts. It's here at this altar that we learn that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're saved today. Is our life characterized by a tent and an altar? Or is it characterized by tents and no altar? What's important in our lives as believers today? What's important? What are the priorities? Is it the Lord first? Or is it family first? Is it His will first? Or is it our will first? If you're lost today, there's a message here for you. To come out of Egypt with no altar is to make a false profession. That's the characteristic of these days of Lot, you know. Salvation with no altar. Salvation without the cross. Salvation with no death to self. Just adding Christ to what you're already doing. That's not salvation. Salvation requires an altar. And that altar is the cross of Calvary. The place where the Lord Jesus died. The place where He shed His blood for you. And salvation takes place when you come by faith to that altar, to the cross, and you take your place there as someone who is a sinner, who is without God and without hope in the world. And not only that, someone who deserves nothing but death and hell and the blackness of darkness for all eternity. And when you come there, to the altar of the cross of Calvary with that attitude of heart and you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, He will save you. Right where you are this morning, you can kneel at the cross. You can kneel at the cross and be washed in the blood of the Lamb and pass from death unto life. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would take Your Word today and use it in our hearts. We thank You for 
the miracle of preaching. And the miracle is not what a man says. The miracle is how the Spirit of God can take the Word of God. And He can take that Word if we will allow Him. And He can make it a message to our heart that can convict and reprove and rebuke and exhort whether we're saved or lost. And our prayer today is that we will, each one, allow the Spirit of God to do that in our hearts today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.